0: Mindful sex or spiritual sex can absolutely be like in your marriage bed with rose petals and chanting, playing and incense and like eye gazing and breathing and sync and yoni massage. But it can also be giving a stranger a blowjob in a bathroom.
1: God. Jessica Graham, author of Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out, also an actress, uh, meditation instructor, healer, helper. We talk about this idea of bringing presence back to our body during sex. But we talk about a lot more than that, um, the benefits of meditation, what meditation can do for your sex life, how to talk about sex with your new partner or your long-term partner, like how to have that conversation. The benefits of taking the focus off of orgasm during sex. That is just a tiny snapshot of what Jessica and I talk about for this hour-long conversation. This is one of my favorite episodes that I have recorded in the last three to six months. Jessica is fantastic. And I am so, so grateful for her time and her wisdom. And I'm pumped for you to listen to this episode. My name is Sean Galinas. This is The Love Drive. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Jessica, could you please introduce yourself?
0: Yes, hello. I'm Jessica Graham, and uh, I wrote a book called "Good Sex: Getting Off Without Checking Out." And I'm—I offer guidance to couples and individuals around sex and relationship and spirituality. And I teach meditation, and I make movies, and I'm multi-passionate, I guess you could say.
1: And I'm super pumped that you're here.
0: I'm super pumped to be here. It's—it's uh, it's really nice to connect with you after having a kind of internet. Relationship for
1: a while. We've been chit chatting a lot. We, we chit chatted last time. We just finished chit chatting a little bit. It feels like we could do that for a long time.
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's do it recorded this time for people to enjoy. Um, you wrote a book. So I, I, I was introduced to your work. I don't know how I came about the book. Good sex getting off without checking out, but it just like, I don't know what it was. I don't know who told me about it. I liked the idea right? I like the idea of not checking out. I I love the idea of presence. I think that presence is the biggest gift, one of the biggest gifts that we can give to people, right? Our attention, our presence, like being there, fully there for them. And so this idea of bringing presence and mindfulness to sex, I love. And you were able to put it together in a package that is approachable, and understandable and sort of easy to implement, which is hard to do because there's a lot of books on presence and sex, but they're like esoterically new age mm. and they're hard to connect to. And your book is not that.
0: Well, thank you. Then that means I was able to accomplish what I set out to accomplish, which was to you know write something for people who didn't necessarily relate to the esoteric or the sort of dogma-laden, Views and philosophies on this, and I'm obviously inspired by and a fan of that stuff. Uh, but when I really got interested in getting on this path of mindful or conscious or awakened sex, I really wanted something that I could relate to, that was accessible for me, and that wasn't boring, right? Like that wasn't like vanilla flavored cardboard, and so. I couldn't find it. And this was, you know, this is a while back. It was before Mindful Sex is kind of out there in the way it is now. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta figure this out myself. And, and that's what led to, you know, that exploration and writing about it and ultimately the book. And so, yeah, I, the whole idea is that this is for someone who doesn't necessarily want to dive deep into like Neo Tantra or orgasmic meditation or any of that sort of stuff, but wants to bring practice into sex and wants to really just have a more fulfilling and, um, you know, rich
1: sex life. That seems like something that most of us want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I think we, we do in a deep sense, but I think, there's a lot of layers between that kind of call to um, a more connected sex life and where we are. You know, for me, there was a lot of layers of trauma to work through and just all kinds of resistance, you know, cultural and hit my own personal history and all of that. But yeah, there's um, a real difference. Like when you talk to someone who's had their first kind of present conscious sexual experience, even with themselves, you know, it doesn't have to be with another person, the The way a person really lights up being like, wow, I didn't know it could feel like that. I, mm. it, it felt like an altered state, it felt like I was on drugs.
1: It can definitely feel like drugs, but the mm. the good part of drugs with no side effects, <laughs> except sure. for maybe like being tired the next day because you stayed up late. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that's fine. We could deal with that. Um, so the title of the book is Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out. So what do you mean by checking out? Like, What does that look like in the context of sex?
0: Well, my own personal story involved checking out through drugs and alcohol. And um, I'm actually very grateful for drugs and alcohol, especially alcohol. Like it It was the medicine I needed at the time. And it probably is how I made it out of like my teen years alive was being able to check out because there was a lot of pain and suffering that I didn't have any other way of dealing with. And so the checking out was necessary and it did block me from certain experiences such as actually being in my body during sex. and. I had a really fun sex life kind of from the beginning. Um, it, there were definitely some negative experiences um, but for the most part I was not ashamed of my sexuality. I was I, I was kind of pretty sexually empowered from an early age and so it wasn't that I didn't experience the sort of pleasures and and joys and fun of sex. It was just that I, it was really dulled down. Hmm. And the drinking allowed me to, you know, have some sex that I probably didn't really want to have. It put me in some unsafe situations and it really limited what was possible as far as the embodied aspect of sexuality. And so step one for me of not checking out during sex was to get sober and to not use drugs and alcohol in that way anymore. But whether or not someone is kind of anesthetizing themselves that way, there's lots of ways to check out. And the main one is just to be stuck in the mind. And that's one of the number one things people ask me about is like, how do I get out of the anxiety in my mind and into my body. And it's as simple as a meditation practice, just like when you sit down and you're trying to focus on your breath and you get pulled into your mind and you start thinking about what you got to do tomorrow. You just gently without judgment, return back to the breath. And it's the same thing here. You gently without judgment, return back to the pleasure in your body associated with sexual activity and with practice you know, that can re- that just that can change your sex life and change your life. Um, and then there's obviously much more to the adventure.
1: If you want to know more tools and tips, then go buy the book. But what you have so aptly been able to describe is what I sometimes struggle to tell people, which is like the act of letting go, right? In all aspects of life is a lot like meditation, right? So for me, when I meditate, there's an object of meditation. It's usually the breath, Right, breathe in, breathe out. And then I, and then what happens is something comes up, right? My mind latches onto some sort of thought. And then I let that thought go and I come back to the breath. And what I'm hearing you say is that checking back into the body during sex feels a lot like that, right? You, you're having sex, you find yourself having sex, uh, whether it's alone or partnered. And then, you'll be in your head about um, how does this feel? Am I doing something? It'll be like, you know, maybe performance related or maybe you're worried about something after sex. Did you do, you know, you have the to-do list that you're checking off. And essentially we're talking about just, oh, just bring it back. Bring it back to the body, right? Bring it back to the felt sense to like, what am I feeling? How does this feel? What is this person doing or what am I doing to myself? How does that feel in my body? Is that sort of what it looks like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, you know, that can be a tall order for some of us, you know, (laughs) like, just the practice of concentration alone, like learning to stay with the body when in general, most of us live from the neck up in in our minds, that that alone is a, you know, it's something that takes cultivation and practice. But then there's also all kinds of reasons we don't want to be in our bodies. You know, a lot, a lot, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there's a large number of people of all genders who, um, experience pain during sex and Mm -hmm. never tell their partners. Um, you know, just that alone, you know, is, is a reason you might not want to be in your body. Um, maybe you don't want to be having sex with the person you're having sex with. That would be a reason not to want to be in the body. And then, of course, you know the number of people who have experienced sexual trauma is is uh, astounding and uh that's a reason that you might not want to be in your body too and so it's definitely you know it's not as simple as yeah just come back to your body and that's why the process of bringing mindfulness into sex often involves a lot of healing and a lot of sort of um reimagining what is it like to be in my body how can i be in my body in a way that does feel good and how can i make choices in my life and in the partners I'm with that invite me into my body rather than make me want to get out of my body.
1: Mm. There's so many links to all of this, right? Like living a more empowered life, right? And, and that sounds a little woo-woo, but basically like making good choices mm. for myself and my growth and advocating for my needs and my wants and my desires and my, the things I don't want as well. Um, that can all have a bunch of positive effects in life, but then also in our relationship to our body. Mm-hmm. right, because we're we're trusting ourselves that we can take care of ourselves,
0: yeah, absolutely. And we're listening to ourselves, you know, I mean, i I was getting my hair cut once when when I was able to do that because we can't really do that in California anymore. Um, and my stylist, we were talking about sex, and my stylist said, You know, I never was in a situation where I said no and someone kept going, but I was in lots of situations where I didn't say yes. And I was like, wow, this was actually, I think while I was writing the book, I think it might've made it into the book now that I'm now I'm thinking of it. Um, and it was like, yeah, like how many times did I bypass what my body wanted? or or bypass even a maybe, right? Like maybe my body is like, oh, maybe, I don't know. And I'm just like, it's yes, go. Maybe Um, is yes. Yeah, (laughs) like, and it's just like, wow, like I'm really grateful that I can no longer do that. I can't bypass my body anymore. Like it's. It doesn't allow me to. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, that can be inconvenient sometimes in, in various aspects of life, but I would never, never change it. And a big part of that was just learning to listen to my body around sex. You know, it's such a, such an intimate, primal kind of aspect of being human. And when you learn to listen to those, um, those cues in your own body around sex, it, it really opens up your, your communication with your body in general. <sighs>
1: That kind of sounds. It it feels good to hear you say that uh, you can't bypass a no in your in your body anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I resonate deeply with that. I, I've always been really promiscuous. Just mm-hmm. I'll just go out there and say it. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, that's probably not a, a shock to you. Uh, I also have like loved my sex life. It's been like varied and exciting, and there's been a lot of partners, and it. It has come rather easily. And I think part of that is like, you know, my personality and my looks. And also the other part is I'm just like really bold, right? Bold and I've learned to ask for what I want. And I've, you know, it's like the whole, the, the Wayne Gretzky quote, <laughs> you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And <laughs> yeah. so like, I took a lot of shots, you know, which means that you just get rejected a lot. Also, you get used to that as well. You get used to receiving other people's no's if they're, of course, in a position to give a no. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so I've always been really promiscuous and I've realized over the years and probably in the last like five years and I'm 38 now. So like around 32, 33, like there are experiences where I had to stop having sex because it didn't feel good or it didn't feel right for whatever the, the, whatever the reason is usually around the, like the fact that there wasn't enough of an emotional connection for me to continue having sex with this person, even if it was something casual. Yeah. I wanted there to be some intimacy. And you can have intimate, casual sex. I actually want to write a book called the The Guide to Intimate. What is it? The the Casual Guide to Intimate Sex or The Intimate Guide <laughs> to Casual Sex. I, can't, I love that. <laughs> I can't I can't remember which, but I I got to a point where like, oh, there isn't enough intimacy here. I can't continue to have sex with this person, or I can't even uh like Start having sex with them, and have had to stop the makeout process, where we both assumed that we were going to have sex, Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for that as well. I'm grateful uh, that I don't have to regret having sex anymore. Yeah, and I've had those. I've had those regrets before, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. It's not great for the other person either. You don't. You don't have sex where you regret it. Then the other person knows that you regret it. Like that kind of feels shitty for everybody.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, that word promiscuous, like it definitely describes many periods, most periods of my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I, and I like the word actually, I I do too.
1: There's nothing wrong with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it is, it is interesting how, how much, um, you know, how much getting mindful about sex has, has shifted the way that I, Relate to to sex and the the value I place on it. Um, yeah, some of my most intimate, ex- some really intimate experiences have been casual experiences. Um, mm. And so I, you know, I-, I like to say, like, mindful sex or spiritual sex can absolutely be like in your marriage bed with rose petals and chanting, playing and in incense and like eye gazing and breathing and sync and yoni massage and lingam, whatever. I don't use those words. But it can also be like giving a stranger a blowjob in a bathroom that can be a spiritual experience.
1: Mm.
0: Not for everyone, you mm. know, but for some people that could be a spiritual mindful experience. Sure. There's, you know, something incredibly hot and transformative about connecting in that way when both people are really there really want to be there. Um, you know, so I don't think that there's a right way to be mindful about sex or to be spiritual about sex. But I do know for me, um, while that may have been kind of even a part of my identity in the past um, to have those kinds of adventures, it's really changed. Like, it's like, it's, it's not as much of a priority as it used to be for me to have sexual adventures. And I don't know if that's just getting older or that's like, just a lot of sexual adventures or you know i i do deal with some chronic pain and chronic illness and that's part of it but i do think some of it is just about what you said it's like is the intimacy at a level that is that meets the water level where i am today and it's pretty high like if you want to fuck with me like we gotta both really really be there (laughs) otherwise i don't like Otherwise, I have a lot of other things I could do. <laughs> you know?
1: Dude, we've got dogs, we've got books to read, we've got books to write. There's so much so many like so many things we could be doing.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, your waterline test is what I call the <laughs> the baseline test. <laughs> mm. uh, wait, is that No, it's the brunch standard. <laughs>
0: The brunch standard.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I have this thing called the brunch standard. I it's just I wrote a blog post about it like years ago and I, I haven't I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. But the brunch standard is basically like if sex was off the table, would I want to invite this person to spend the night and have brunch with them in the morning? And what you need to know about me is that I don't like waiting in line for eggs and I and also the eggs are expensive. I don't like waiting in line for expensive eggs. <laughs> and so does this person meet the brunch standard? Like, am I willing to hang out with them, invite them over to sleep at my house, which is already a big thing because I've lived alone for most of my life and I really value like having the whole bed to myself mm-hmm. and my sleep is important. So I don't, and and I know I don't sleep well with a new person like for weeks. So am I willing to give up sleep and go wait in line for expensive eggs in the morning with this person. If they meet the brunch standard, then let's do this. Yeah. And very few people nowadays meet the brunch standard because of what we just talked about.
0: Yeah, and it's not. like, the thing is, there's lots of beautiful and amazing people. Like, the, like falling in love is easy to do. Like, you know, on a on a certain level. And it's not about that. It's just you know, priorities do shift. You know, they they really do. And then it's like okay how do i stay engaged and awake to and alive in my sexuality when the way that i used to engage with it is no longer the the norm and that's been the kind of the journey i've been on is like oh what does this look like when you know when when the person that i was for so many years no longer exists and there's this other version of me now and what does sex look like and what does sexuality look like and what's Sexual authenticity. Now,
1: a thing that we talked about last time we were on the phone is, uh, and I wrote this down as a note. With enough meditation, your relationship to desire and drive can change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you remember why I wrote that?
0: Um, probably because I I was talking about br- how bringing mindfulness. Or meditation or spiritual practice into anything can, will, will shift your relationship to it. And things like, things like sex, um, if that's a place that you get like a kind of high, if that's a place where you can get sort of maybe a little unconscious, even in a really pleasant way, um, bringing meditation and mindfulness into it will wake you up in that area and things will shift and change. You know, I wrote an article and then it was in my book, this idea of love drugs and how we have this sort of, you know, cultural agreement that we can like go a little bit crazy when we fall in love and like, you know, beep and not eat enough or whatever it is. When you get really present with the experience of that first flush and those drugs that are rushing through your system, it will change that and you'll no longer, at least this is my experience, like no longer get that high, which is a kind of loss. But there's also a gain in that because, you know, you get to open up to new possibilities that would otherwise be um, completely shadowed over by that, you know, kind of obvious obtuse version of, of first flush.
1: People really, people including myself, <laughs> really go off the deep end when it comes to new love. Like it mm-hmm. it's, uh, feels like a flood of love drugs, chemicals that cloud my judgment other people's judgments, some of my students and and like listeners, where they just act in a way they would never normally act, Mm -hmm. right? And that feels like a loss of self to a certain degree, a loss of how I normally am, a loss of my presence, of my attention to what's going on with me. And we sort of just get like wrapped up in, in love. Or it's not even love at this point for the most part,
0: <laughs> it's
1: chemicals. Yeah. And it tells us it's like before love can even come into the picture, we're talking about like attachment and lust and, and like yearning and desire and sometimes desperation and a grasping. Mm-hmm. A grasping for yeah. a thing that we think will probably save us from the existential dread of being a human and, and walking alone on this earth. Uh, and the allure is strong with new lust and love. And I'd love to hear from you on how can, how can we get pragmatic about the role of meditation in this?
0: Yeah. Well, um, first is just the disclaimer that when you, when you do this, it will, it will change that experience. If you, if, especially if you're someone who's got a hardcore meditation practice already, who's already maybe experienced some awakenings and is now like, okay, I want to bring this into this part of life as well. It works. Um, and so just be ready to, um, Not be able to get high like that anymore. Ooh. Um,
1: (laughs) It's like going to your first 12 step (laughs) recovery meeting. It's going to change things, guys.
0: Yeah, it will change things. Um, And not necessarily overnight, but it will change things. And so the first thing I will say is that, yes, there is that aspect of like, this is going to answer that existential dread, right? There's going to be a sense of I'm here, I exist, there's solid ground, if I can, if I can get this person, if I can have this relationship. But then there's also the hope that like, it's going to heal your childhood wounds. Like, if I can get this person to love me the way my dad never did, then it'll make up for it. You know, I did Mm. that for years. Um, And so there's those those aspects of this as well. So as you start to get mindful about the, the, the love drug experience, you will probably come in contact with some of that stuff, the fears of abandonment, maybe past traumas or, you know, grief. And so that's just something to be aware of and to get support with as, as needed. As far as just like the mechanics of it, what you can do is, okay, so you meet the person, maybe you've had a first date, or maybe you're even just like messaging on a dating app, and you start to have that experience that we all, most of us know so well. And what you want to do is start to witness the arising and passing of the thinking to really noticing, not necessarily even the content, but the activity—the way that the images and the uh, words in the mind bubble up and then disperse and vanish—watch that process and see how it speeds up when you're when you see that you have a text, or or speeds up when you haven't gotten the text yet mm-hmm. and you're waiting. Notice that process and how almost like humorously predictable it is, how it, it it ebbs and flows depending on the stimuli that's coming in um, from this other person. Also notice how your body's reacting and start to get really, really curious about the rise and fall of sensation associated with this person as well. And you can do this, you can sit down and do this in a formal way. In fact, a fun way to do it would be Send, send the text out to the object of your desire and then immediately sit down to practice and, and, and see what comes up based on having sent that text. Can notice the thoughts and the emotions associated with it, the way your heart speeds up and all of that. But so you can do it in a formal way, but you can also just do it in action, you know, throughout your day. Get really curious about the self and by self. In this context, I'm talking about the thoughts and emotions that come together to create a sense of self, observe and witness that throughout the day. And you'll start to get a little bit of space from it. And you'll start to be able to kind of sit back and get a sort of bird's eye view on the process on the activity that's unfolding. And just that if you do that for, you know, a couple days, you're going to start to notice a new relationship budding with the experience of those love drugs of that first flush.
1: Holy shit. So, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you're talking and I teared up listening Mm -hmm. to you talk and, and I'm trying to apply what you just said to my experience, right? Like what's coming up for me as you say this. And I think what's coming up is that it's such a beautiful practice. Mm -hmm. It is, this to me sounds incredibly impactful and, and it is incredibly impactful because I know that I can sometimes do what you're saying, what you're suggesting we do. To me, it sounds like you're suggesting that we, we, we get curious about how we are affected by others, yeah, whether they're even doing something or not, right? Like not sit, like I used to get so affected by not receiving a text in a certain amount of time. And I knew that like I was acting in ways that I wouldn't normally act, but I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know that I can sit and get curious. And for me speaking personally, when I sit and I and I get curious, stories come up. Stories about my fear of abandonment or how I was treated growing up or uh, the, the recent rejection or, you know, whatever it is, stories come up and they give me clues about why I feel the way I feel when there's, you know, wh- when there's stim- stimulus. Yeah. And that allows me to sort of like get perspective, like a bird's eye view of like, what's going on here? Like, how important is this? Do I really need to like fire off another two texts (laughs) or can I go do something more constructive? Can I see that like the anxiety for me, whenever I get anxiety, it's a huge signpost that there's something that needs attention and it's rarely the stimulus. (laughs) right (laughs) it's rarely the woman that needs attention it's like what's going on inside with the little sean you know that's been neglected or or whatever it might be and i think i just teared up because i can i already know how impactful this practice is and really it's so simple that's actually the problem with this practice and meditation in general is that like it's it's not like a 12 step or a 17 step do this and you'll get this like it's actually quite simple but it's super hard to do
0: yeah it doesn't um it doesn't align with our like need for instant gratification usually um it's it's slow it's a slow process i mean i look back you know i learned meditation as a little kid um but from my mom and like when i was six, i got uh my sixth birthday, I wanted everyone to stand in a circle and hold hands and meditate. And like, I like led a meditation, (laughs) but I got really far away from, from all of that, you know, through, you know, being on my own really young and, you know, drugs and alcohol and et cetera. Um, But when I, when I came back to it, My life changed pretty dramatically when I first started doing this practice that we, that, that we're discussing. Like it really, it was like being unplugged from the matrix, like everything changed. And I can look back and I can recognize there was that kind of fairly quick shift. And that's not how it works for everyone. It means different for everybody, but that's, that's how it was for me. But now when I look over like the last, you know, 14, 15 years since that process began, I'm just like, wow, wow, is it slow? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Especially when it comes to, you know, the healing work, you know, that so many of us have to do. Like I it's a spiral. You come back around to that stuff again and again. Like I just recently came back around to another you know, another layer of grief and trauma. I'm like, I'm like, okay, like I know now I know it's not the end of the world. It's just, I'm going to move through this just like I moved through the last layer. But it isn't something that that swiftly rearranges your entire being, but it, it can be some um, swift movements, but usually then there's like many years of integration, even if that's the case.
1: And it's beautiful to look back and see how far, you know, you said 14, 15 years, I also I'm guessing that you've come a long way in those fourteen years,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> it's
1: slow, but it's it works,
0: yeah. And in some ways, like if you think about it, like it's like even even if we say fifteen years, right? When you think about a lifetime. Is, is it worth it to put 15 years in to, to suffer so much less? I say yes. And actually, it's, it's not that much time when you think about it. And, and really, if you, if you dedicate yourself to a practice and it doesn't have to be what I just outlined, you know, find what works for you, but you dedicate yourself to that, um, in the way that you and I have both dedicated ourselves to various practices and modalities. Um, it, it will work and you'll, you'll see a change pretty quickly. Like, Give yourself 90 days of meditating 15 minutes a day. Things will be different at the end of that 90 days. Will you be a completely different person with a completely different, you know, sex life and relationship life? No, but things will start shifting. Um, And it really just takes that willingness to really just to do it.
1: I, I can say that practicing meditation, and I don't do it very often, Um, I have like a, I'd like to say that I have a meditative perspective on life. Practicing letting go and the ability to let go is the single most beneficial thing that I've gotten from my meditation practice. And it benefits me in every single aspect of my life. Right. And a lot of people say like, how do you let go? How do you let go? And, and, you know, I've been in twelve step recovery. We we talk a lot about letting go, um, and a lot of the work I've been influenced a lot by twelve step recovery. You know, in in terms of like turning my my will, my life over to the care of a higher power or of God, that's an act of letting go. Right, letting go of the need of getting a, a text message back, that's an act of letting go. Mm-hmm. There, there's countless examples in which I'm able to let go, and sometimes. Uh, sometimes I can't let go. There's a guy on my street who, uh, we live, I live in Montreal. It's like highly impacted. There's not a lot of parking. This guy has five cars and he does Turo, which is like Airbnb for cars. And he moves his cars around all the time. And, and so, okay. So the fact that he has five cars is kind of lame. What he does, it's even more lame is that uh, when he moves a car, he'll take his other car and he'll scoot it in between two spots So he's taking up two spots so that when he comes back, he can scoot his car back and take the parking. And this drives me absolutely insane because it's not illegal, but it is the biggest dick move that he can do in this area. And there's nothing we can do about it. Like, we can't, Mm -hmm. you know, I like want to vandalize his car, but I can't. And like, I'm thinking about ways, like I've thought about like, oh, I'm going to sneak out in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, I'm going to wear all black. I'm going to uh, take, get the air, air out of his tires to to fuck with his customers and to fuck with him. And I've been struggling with this for months, right? So this is just an example of like how, how like it works, but it doesn't always work. and It doesn't work in all examples, like in all parts of my life. and And like... I can let go of all sorts of stuff. Like rejection just doesn't bother me anymore. But someone fucking with the parking really bothers me. Mm-hmm. And this is just, it's, a, it's like another example of like how long this is going to take, right? This whole process is like a lifelong process. Anyway, I just wanted to share that story with with you and with my listeners.
0: Yeah. I mean, i it's, I mean, and, and that's the thing, like we're going to keep being human, <laughs> No matter how much 12-step, no matter how much meditation, therapy, whatever else, we're going to continue to be human beings. And I think that was a really important lesson for me Um because, you know, I had some periods where... I was like, Oh, okay, like life is just gonna be wonderful all the time. Now, it was sort of like a low dose of LSD and Xanax. And it was just like, you know, it was all due to meditation, I wasn't taking any drugs. And it was just like, it was amazing, right? No problem. Like nothing was a problem. Everything was deeply connected. Now, in some sense, that that never that never went away, right? That there's a knowing of that. But I, I did end up having to rejoin humanity at some point. And I remember being like, no, I want to go back to that other thing. And I had to like really listen to my teachers and, 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 and really get in touch with the truth that I am a human with human emotions, with a, with a human brain. And the point is not to transcend my humanity. It's to become more human. And have complete experiences. And so when I, you know, when I run into something where it's like, there's a lot of self coming up, you know, there's suffering arising. I allow myself to have that experience before just being like, all right, I got to use my tools to, to, to get away from this experience and to be more enlightened. Um, and there's so much, um, there's so much life in that. And that's, you know, that's what I'm interested in is like, how can I be more alive? And yes, more and more awake and alive, but alive.
1: Mm. yeah i've heard it said several times something along the lines of like we meditate so that we can go out and play in the world and (laughs) be less shitty humans and (laughs) have less fear and pain basically
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and hopefully yeah hopefully be able to model that in some way shape or form you know so that um, and, and you can't help but do that, you know? I mean, like, I, I watch your stuff on Instagram and there's a really beautiful, um, there's something beautiful and hard to name that you transmit through what you share. And it's like, it's based on the road you've traveled and it's based on your, your unique humanity and all the work that you've done. And so it's like, no matter how we're showing up in the world, whether it's in a public way or whether it's, you know, just raising our kids, um, when we do this work, we end up creating a better world i think ultimately.
1: Yeah, we when we change people people change with us. I mean they they can choose to change with us. You ready to switch gears? Yeah. Okay, so why <laughs> completely different gear. Why is it so hard to talk about sex with your partner? Right? We we touched about we touched we touched on this earlier. Like what is it about talking about sex that is so scary?
0: Well, I think the number one thing, well, one of, one of, there's a bunch of number ones. One of the number one things is that we just don't know how, and we don't really love to do things that we don't know how to do. You know, it's like, we all want to be an expert and we're not taught, you know, sex ed in school is a joke. You know, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's harmful actually in a lot of cases, I think, because they don't talk about pleasure, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's such an important part and they don't talk about it um so i think we don't know how and um there's you know we live in a we still live in very much a puritan culture and um so you know there's fear around getting kicked out of the tribe because we're talking about something that's not allowed to be talked about you know i'm i'm not anti-porn at all like i think ethical porn can be a can be healing i think it can be entertaining. I think there's, there's a lot of good things that can come from it. But I will say that, you know, porn has sort of limited the conversation as well, because there's like this idea of what sex is supposed to be and how it's supposed to look. And if it doesn't fit into this like, weird artificial version, then we're doing it wrong. And we better not talk about it, because, <laughs> because then we're going to be exposed for doing it wrong. Um, I think that, uh, again, just the various trauma that people go through, it, it closes off the ability to communicate about their pleasure or about their curiosity about sex. Um, you know, oftentimes as kids, we're told, you know, don't, don't talk about that. Don't do that. Don't touch yourself that way. Don't ask those questions, you know. And so we, we, we close down. We close down a lot.
1: Big question. That was a big question. <laughs>
0: I mean there's a lot more I could say, but I'm like gonna let
1: some face come in here now. Yeah, it's so many so many reasons why it's hard. So many reasons why it's hard. I mean, even for me as someone who has quite a bit of experience doing it, it's still hard sometimes to talk about sex. And I think it's pretty much like anything in life. Like if you don't do it, like you said, you're gonna be bad at it. You're it's like I I just started skiing. And I've been snowboarding forever, and I'm such a bad skier. Like I'm, it's embarrassing how awkward it is to have two skis instead of one snowboard. And the, but I've, but I'm getting better, you know. But I've done it a few more times, and it's less awkward. And I, I make the parallel to like couples that have been in a relationship for a long time. If you get used to not talking about sex, it's going to be really hard to bring it up the first time. Mm-hmm. really, really hard, and if you are uh if you bring it up early and often, then it becomes part of how you relate to your person. Yeah. It becomes much easier to talk about sex when you're used to talking about sex this this to me feels like super basic, but also uh useful to know that the more you talk about sex, the better you'll be at talking about sex and at having sex, hopefully.
0: Because talking
1: about sex allows you to get information from your partner about what they like and what they don't like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that we we can start the conversation with ourselves. You know, we can start the conversation by um, getting in touch with our own bodies and exploring. You know, I often give an um, embodied self-pleasure or mindful masturbation practice to people. And, you know, it's just about getting into dialogue with your body. You know, you can start there and then... You know, you can talk to a maybe there's a friend you feel really comfortable talking with or maybe a coach or a therapist. You know, you can start there if it feels like diving off the deep end to bring this up with your partner. Um, maybe you haven't started the relationship in the way that you just described, which I think is a, an ideal way to begin is talking about it from the beginning. Um You can, you can practice in other places, you know, you can, you can practice in other places and then bring that back to the relationship. But yeah, ideally, if you can begin a relationship with that on the table, that conversation, like me and my partner have been together for 10 years and we were talking about sex from very early on. We actually didn't have sex for two months when we got together. Mm. Which is, which for me was definitely strange. Like a lifetime. Yeah, right. (laughs) But it was a really conscious choice. And we did all this community, we had all this communication about it. And we had all this exploration before we actually had, you know, penetrative penis and vagina sex, you know. Um, And I'm not saying anyone needs to do that. I'm just using it as an example. Like we had two months of talking about sex before we were actually having, you know, intercourse.
1: What about oral sex?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, yes, we were doing that. (laughs) And, and I do consider that sex. I mean, I, you know, I've had multiple long-term relationships and half of them have been with women. So, you know, just because there wasn't a cock involved doesn't mean we weren't having sex. So
1: (laughs) that's right. um, That's right.
0: (laughs) But I do think, you know, this is a different topic, but, you know, safe sex, nobody wants to hear this myself included. But when we're talking about safe sex, because mindful sex is, you know, also about safety. Oral sex is it, it's sex. There are um, STIs that can absolutely be passed that way. So um, just putting that out there for anyone who uh, hasn't, uh it's kind of like vegetarians with cheese. It's like, eventually, you have to realize that some cheese is actually not vegetarian and then you have to deal with that. So I'm just putting that out there for people that haven't dealt with that reality yet around oral sex.
1: This doesn't sound ground groundbreaking to me. I mean, I feel like, yeah, you can get plenty of STIs with just having oral sex. Uh, what I do want to say though, is that the STI conversation is a fantastic jumping off point to talking about sex because You know, I'm a firm believer that if you can't talk about sex and your sexual health, you shouldn't be having sex. And that I agree. Yeah. And it's a very, this is an unpopular opinion. Uh, And also, I I also want to say, you know, I was terrible at talking about my sexual health for a, a short period of my life until I got HSV and developed warts. And then I had to talk about it. For like the rest of my life, so mm-hmm. I just want to give space for people who like haven 't done this perfectly or who who haven't had to talk about sexual health like it's okay, and now that you know that you could be doing better, I invite you to that conversation ultimately needs to happen before people get naked, right like the conversation about like when when was the last time I was tested, what my test results were, what my safer sex practices are that should happen before genitals get touched. And if you have um, HSV, if you have cold sores, ideally, you can, that's a great opportunity for you to have that conversation before you even kiss somebody. And this yes. might be like groundbreaking for some people and not at all for others. But this, this is how we can start talking about sex. We start talking about sexual health and our sexual health practices. And then from there, a, a, a natural transition or jumping off point would be, um, what do you like? What do you like? Exactly. What do you what What do you like? What don't you like? And how was that? Like the thing that we just did, <laughs> the sex that we had. How was it for you? Uh, which is which is hard because that's like connected to sort of like, did you orgasm? Like, did you come? Which <laughs> I think I wrote something where I said like, did you come is like the hardest <laughs> question to ever ask a woman. Um, that's the next place. Like, how was it for you? Right. So these are examples of things that we could be talking about like when people don't know what, what is there to talk about? There's plenty to talk about when it comes to sex.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's endless. I very much agree with you around the safer sex practices and, you know, sexual history conversation. And, and I actually have a similar, you know, I, I was, uh, I was 14 or 15 when I got, um when I, when I had a pap show up with HPV and I was lucky and it wasn't you know, it ended up just going away. And I didn't, there were no consequence of it. But I had to deal with that at a young age. And I'm just, I, I'm not good at lying. And so I felt like I would be lying if I didn't tell people. So even after doctors were like, you don't have to tell anyone about this anymore. Like, this is not a thing at all. It hasn't shown up. Like, I still, I, I did it. And I remember the first conversations were really, really horrifying. And I hated having them. But I learned at that young age to do it. And so it's just part of how I, um, how I orient sexually. It's part of how I, it's just part of the way that I do things. And it's definitely something that I work with others on because there are a lot of people who do not see it that way. And are not having those conversations and and it really is important and it really like you said is a jumping off point and um and it's good news like if you're having that conversation it means that it means that you you're gonna maybe be having sex um and and for people, you know, because I definitely get contacted by people who are dealing with STIs and, you know, just dealing with the stigma around that, you know, if you share your status with someone and they're like, well, I don't, never mind, I don't, I don't want to have sex with you. Well, that's just, that's good information, right? Like that's, it's important to, to find out who the people you're having sex with are. And so don't, um, you know, don't withhold that thinking that that's going to, Help you to hold on to something because you don't want to necessarily hold on to that person anyway.
1: Yeah, and it's it's their right to not want to engage with you if if they don't want to take on the risk of having sex with somebody who has an STI. It's totally legit.
0: Absolutely
1: right. Just because someone doesn't want to have sex with you because you have an STI doesn't mean they're a bad person. It, it does. It does matter how they tell you. You know, if they're like, "Ew, no way," like, "Fuck that." that's maybe not something that you want to be in a relationship with but if they say you know what at this point i'm not really comfortable taking on that risk um, i have another partner and uh, we're trying to be as safe as possible or uh, i would love to continue making out with you however i want to do a little bit more research on hsv before i feel more comfortable moving forward so you know can i can i like sleep on it or whatever those are different those are totally different responses to your disclosing that you have an STI. Absolutely. So, and those
0: are the kind of people that we want to be interacting with. Like it's like the people that know how to respond in that way. And, and ideally like through these conversations, you know, we, we create more of that, you know, yeah. we, we help other people be comfortable with those conversations as well.
1: I realized somewhere along the way that if I didn't have the conversation, there was a really good chance they weren't going to have it. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to say like 80% of people that I had sex with, I I just didn't see it happening unless I brought it up, which is maddening, saddening, and like, I guess, understandable. Less so now, more so back then when we didn't know as much. Yeah. Uh, But I realized that I was responsible for my sexual health, like me.
0: That's right.
1: Not the other person. And by me being responsible for my sexual health, I become I empower others to be responsible about their sexual health.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: we could do this all day.
0: <laughs> we could literally
1: until we the energy starts flagging. We could do this all day. Um, Twenty four hour podcast. <laughs> let's <laughs> we're going to stream it uh, from our forests. Okay, no one who listens to this is going to understand that. That's okay. It'll be our our little joke. <laughs> one okay so two what one more thing i want to explore with you and then uh, and then we'll sort of close out how do we shift the focus away from orgasm
0: mm-hmm.
1: i just it's we're focused on the orgasm a lot of people are i am as well how do we shift it away what why do we want to shift it away um and and if that's beneficial how
0: yeah well There is a lot of anxiety around orgasm. So I think it's a, it is a good thing to, to work to shift all of that attention and focus away because it actually, um, limits sexual pleasure and can, you know, create a real kind of what seems like a problem around orgasm. Um, it's also just a really small part of, The whole sexual experience, like, even, (sighs) even if you're somebody that has, like, super long orgasms, it's still not that long. (laughs) And, uh, if that's all that you're, like, if that's the only place your focus is, then you're really missing out on, like, a whole smorgasbord of, of, of fun and pleasure and turn on. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a great idea. I'm not anti-orgasm. Like, I'm not someone, I don't, I don't, (laughs) like, I'm all for, People exploring whatever, but when some when a man wants to work with me, and that's that's his interest is learning like a kind of sexual mastery in that way. That's not my forte. It's not what I I'm specialized in. Um, I think that uh, there's definitely spiritual and emotional and energetic reasons to explore that sort of. Neo tantra practice, but that's not, that's not my deal. So I'm like, have all the orgasms, but let's get real present with it. Let's Mm -hmm. get real mindful with it. And, um, you can, you can start that on your own just by bringing mindfulness into masturbation and taking either taking orgasm off the table or just putting it like on the other side of the table, (laughs) like far away and really just focusing in on the sensations of pleasure. And you can even set a timer, make it like a practice and explore your body and explore touching all different parts of your body, not just your genitals, and explore touching yourself in ways that you haven't before and tune into what feels good and keep tuning into the pleasure rather than driving towards the orgasm. And you can also do this by relaxing. A lot of people tighten up around sexual pleasure. Mm. It's hard to like, it's hard to hold it for some people. So learning to breathe and relax into your pleasure without, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing towards that, that moment of, of release. And what can start to happen is you can have an orgasmic experience, like throughout, throughout the sexual interaction rather than just an orgasm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more I can say about, about practices for that, but ultimately, Um, it is about getting in touch with your body and learning to pay attention to and acclimate to and be with pleasure. Because for a lot of people it's actually it's actually challenging to be with pleasure. They'd rather push through the experience, get to that one big burst of pleasure and then be like, Okay, I'm done rather than be with an ongoing sort of ebbing and flowing of pleasure.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah. The uh the relaxing Every time I relax, I think that, oh, I'll never be able to orgasm if I relax. And right. inevitably, it, it does take longer, but it's way more interesting, mm. right? It's an ebb and flow of energy, of sexual energy, and it's more of a ride than, than if I just sort of, I know where I'm going and I'm just, I'm going for the orgasm, and then it's like pastrami sandwich time or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I find I look that- look,
0: sometimes- Sometimes we want a pastrami sandwich and that's okay. You know, I, I don't like breathe and relax and like meditate every time I masturbate, you know, I mean, it's sort of made its way into my life in all ways in a default setting. But like, sometimes I just want to get off and that's okay too.
1: We have a lot in common. (laughs) I'm I'm like now realizing we have a lot in common, especially around the ways that we, uh, the way that, that we teach with a lot of permission right? Like there's nothing wrong with a spiritual bathroom blowjob. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having focus on orgasm and going for and then making a sandwich. There's nothing wrong with not talking about sex if you don't want to talk about sex. And there are other ways of doing it that are going to give you different results.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's the thing. Like our, Do you want more? Do you, are you interested in exploration? Like, are you suffering in this part of your life? Hmm. Okay. Well, then it might be time to, to try out something new. Um, but yeah, the, the, the permission and the invitation is so important. And the same way that, that you and I come from that perspective, like, I encourage anyone listening to come from that perspective with themselves. Like, be in consent with yourself. That's a, that's a, really important part of consensual sex is to be in consent with yourself.
1: Mm. Wait, what does that look like?
0: Well, it can, it can, it can look like, um, being honest with yourself that you don't like the sex that you're having. I mean, that, that's Mm. that it could be as simple as that. It could be about, um, um, knowing that there's, you know, an aspect of your sexual expression or your sexual life that is causing you or someone else suffering and you're sort of tucked it away and Mm. and being willing to, to, to take a look at that. But it's also about pleasure, right? Like it's about like affirming what, what feels good and going towards what feels good. And, and really being in communication with yourself about all of it. I mean, it's really easy to, um, to hide various aspects of our sexuality or our, you know, sexual beliefs or, you know, all of that underneath some carpet. You know, it's really easy to do that because our culture doesn't, um, doesn't really support looking at that stuff. And so, to be in consent with yourself. It's like to be willing, okay, I'm I, okay, I'm going to put this under the carpet right now. And I know I'm doing it. And I know it's there. And I'll come back to it. Fine. That to me would be consent. <laughs> but but to just stuff it all under there and to pretend like it's not happening. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not going to lead to to joy and freedom and pleasure.
1: Our, yeah, our society does certainly support the the hiding of sex and sex issues, and I don't even want to call them sex problems, um, but that does remind me that any problem, quote-unquote problem, issue, situation, won't be resolved until we dedicate some time, energy, and resources. Yeah. Like, it's just not, for the most part, for the most part, I mean, you could transcend levels of consciousness, but we're not talking about that. For the most part, problems don't just solve themselves. Like they don't, they need presence and and attention. And we get to choose what gets attention. And sometimes we're overwhelmed. Like kids are screaming, master's program is due, like whatever, work sucks. There isn't room to give your sex life attention. Sometimes that's the truth. And also the truth is that you could probably always find some room, right? Because you don't need to be watching Bridgerton or (laughs) which I haven't started watching yet or whatever, (laughs) whatever there, there are, I mean, I spend a lot of time on social media and, you know, part of it is like my work, but then part of it is not my work. So there is time that I have, I can carve away for taking care of myself and of my body and of my sexuality and, it has to, at some point, you have to make a concerted effort if you want to heal or change something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you said about there being time, it's like, it doesn't, it's not black and white, right? Like, sometimes you can be like, well, all right, 2021 isn't my year to focus on my sexuality and my sex, sexual well being. I'll do that, you know, in 2022. It's like, no, like, what if it was just like every day I engage just a little bit? Like, every day I, um, you know, read a page of an erotic story, or I took a sexy selfie just for myself, or I, you know, just brought more sensuality into my day with the clothes I wore, or the food I ate, or the music I listened to. Like, there's all kinds of ways. And then with a partner, it's like, what if we, you know, what if I stroke this down their back rather than giving them like a pat somewhere? Like, what if I just bring some Aspect of sexuality of sensuality into my interaction with this person. What if I, you know, give them a, a, little, a little bit more of a of a real kiss as I go off to do whatever I'm going off to do, rather than just the pack? Like it's just these little moments that can really add up, and so it doesn't need to be like a whole life rearrangement today. It can be, how can I express this aspect of me just mm. in this moment?
1: What if I just looked at my partner during orgasm for a quarter of a second yes. instead of keeping my eyes closed all the way.
0: That's right. Yes, yes. And because that's because that can be a really scary thing for people. And that's exactly what I say. It's like, well, just kind of uh, titrate in, you know? It's like two seconds eyes open, 30 second size clothes You know, just like you know allow yourself to kind of slowly move into it. Again, consent, like don't push past what is um what feels safe to your body.
1: Mm. And it's okay to explore the edge. <laughs>
0: mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have to, right? It's like what you're saying, it's like if we don't look at this stuff, if we don't like address it in a meaningful way, things don't change. And so yeah, it's like that balance, right? Between like being being at that edge and working with that edge, but not um, pushing to a place where we're in overwhelm and we can't actually take in the experience or the knowledge.
1: And then we check out.
0: Mm, yep. Yeah, there you go.
1: Which then and if you find yourself checking out, then pick up Jessica Graham's book, Good Sex, Getting out. <laughs> Getting off of that checking out. Uh where, or where you can
0: just take a breath and you can just relax and just, you know, you don't have to read my book. My book is just, you know, an invitation.
1: Yeah, yeah. This was an invitation. It wasn't a it wasn't a homework assignment. Where can we find you and how can we work with you?
0: Mm, yeah. So you can visit my site, your wild Um, you can find me on Instagram at Jessica Clark Graham. And um You can, I got some YouTube, I'm on some apps Um, and yeah, for working with me, I, I teach classes online and then I work with people one-on-one and with couples and um, yeah, just reach out through the website and we'll, we'll set up a time to explore.
1: Best place to buy your book?
0: An independent bookstore, ideally black owned.
1: (laughs) Nice. Jeff Bezos doesn't need more money.
0: No, he it doesn't. It's it's that's it. That's the easiest place to buy my book. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <it's> like,
1: <laughs> that's the easiest place to buy everything.
0: Exactly, it's the easiest place to sell my soul. Um, yes, but ideally through an independent bookstore, you can go. You can get it through my publisher, North Atlantic Books, as well.
1: Okay, and we'll link to it on Goodreads so people can.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. There's a, there's a page on Goodreads
1: for it. Yeah. And they they can add it to their want to buy, want to read next book. Um, final question for you. Are you ready for it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What does love mean to you?
0: My experience is that um, love is in everything, everywhere, beyond possible human comprehension. So love is Trump, love is the lunch I'm going to eat today, <laughs> um, love is you, love is this conversation. More and more what I've found is that I, I can't separate myself or anything else from love, and, and I, that's, that's the absolute love, right? Like That's mm. the divine love. And then, then there's the beautiful, complicated, messy, gorgeous, heartbreaking love of, of human, you know, the, the the relative aspect. And, um, in some ways that's a lot, a lot more complicated than Mm. the absolute all encompassing, mysterious, never ending love.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I'm always blown away by people's answers. Mm. This one was particularly mystical though. I loved it. (laughs) thank you jessica so much for for, yeah and and thank you for your time and for your wisdom and for sharing so openly with with us today
0: absolutely my pleasure
1: Thank you for spending this hour with Jessica and me. And I haven't done this in a while, but I think it's time that I let you know that if this podcast is making a huge impact in your life and changing the way you see and do relationships and you want to thank me for that, the best way you can do that is by supporting this work, my work and the Love Drive podcast by making a small but meaningful contribution on a monthly basis of at least $5 a month, which I know sounds like a lot. And then at the same time, like it's also just the price of a coffee. It's like, it's both a lot and not a lot. And your support means the world to me. Like it really makes a huge difference. Running this podcast, interviewing these guests, all the gear required, the editing, the editors, it all costs money it really does. And if you want to help, and if you want to make sure that this podcast stays available to you for your growth and your deepening of relationships and intimacy and communication, then go to thelovedrive.com forward slash join and make a small but meaningful contribution to this work. And for everybody who does, I see you every month. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful week. We'll mm-hmm.